Ladies and gentlemen, my name is K to the second letter, one half of Southside Rabbi, and we felt like this would be a great opportunity for us to bring you all into something else we've been doing. So we have been serving at a few leadership conferences, pouring in uh, some young men and women, doing what kind of felt like a live podcast. So my favorite one we did here in Orlando, and uh, we want to share it with you. So without further ado, welcome to the live podcast. God bless you. If you like this kind of content, please be sure to like, subscribe, and more importantly, okay, keep us in prayer while you do both. We've been super encouraged by the growth. If you have not joined our Patreon, please do so. Uh, we are ramping up content for our patrons. Again, I am K to the second letter. Welcome to the show. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. One more time, happy birthday to our mean, the dream, mean Thank machine. You. I'm grateful to the Lord for another year. Who bows to the King of Kings. Amen. All right. Amen. Uh, we are delighted to be with you all this afternoon. Uh, before we get started, would you just join us for uh, a moment to pray? Uh, unless revival breaks out, then we'll be praying all week. All right, so we'll, 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 we'll have to, Lord, please keep it contained. All right, yes. so we're, we're going to pray. And then we'll start talking, okay? Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. For in him and through him and by him, we have our hope, our being. Lord, our entire lives are wrapped up in what your son has done for us. We live to bring him glory. Father, would you be pleased to Lift up your name through what me and I mean doing this, 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 this bit of fish and loaves that we're bringing to the table, oh God. Would you be pleased to lift up your name and multiply, may much sustenance come out of this moment, Lord. We don't take this lightly. These are your people. These are the people in which your son has died for. Lord Jesus, these are the people you have entrusted your gospel to. As you are the hope of the world, and people don't know that hope without preachers, teachers, witnesses. So this is heavy. Lord, please allow us to join the direction of your kingdom. And may your glory be felt, experienced, known, change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, <clears throat> my name is KB. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. God bless y'all, all 20 of you. Everybody else has no idea who I am. I, I just, um, I'm actually from uh, Southside St. Petersburg. We drove over today. Uh-huh. Oh, Southside oh, South St. Peter in the house? Okay. Okay. Yeah. And um, uh, th th this state, apart from the alligators and the mosquitoes, uh, holds a, pl a, a place in my heart because in this state, uh, I, I met my, my lovely wife of 13 years now, and we've started a family by God's grace. Amen. Uh, 
my lovely mother who lives with us, uh, she raised me here, at least in part, my, part of my childhood was spent here. Uh, my best friends in the world, the community that I love, the church that I've served at for over a decade, all of that has happened in this state. A lot of dope things happened. I even got signed to a record label from out of a concert that I did in this state. Uh, I, in a lot of ways, have a lot to be, oh, wow. The encouragement today, the other churches that we did, folks were like, uh-huh, what you about to say, all right? Y'all are expecting, I love it. Um, there's a lot that I've seen in my life that has been wonderful about my geographic location, but nothing more important than this is the place that the Lord Jesus Christ found me. Amen. Amen. I was 16 years old, spiraling into a pit of darkness, suicide very present on my mind, destruction, in, uh, destruction was present, hope was missing. I, in a lot of ways, saw no pathway forward given all of the, all of the, 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 the enemy's attacks on my life. And it was in that really, really dark place that somebody walked up to me and gave me a Christian hip-hop CD. And the CD had a dude on the front cover who had dreadlocks like mine. The title of the album was called Bloody Streets Volume 1. And uh, they told me it was Christian rap. And I said, now brother, I ain't got no degree at Lifeway Christian bookstores, but this is not Christian. He was like, no, 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 this is Christian music. You take it home, you be the judge. And I'm like, brother, he's about to rob a bank. This is not Christian music. And it wasn't because of his dreadlocks. It wasn't just because it was called Bloody Streets, but he had a red bandana going across his mouth. This is way before the pandemic, okay? So you're concealing yourself. You're trying to hide something. <laughs> I took the album home. It had eight songs on it. I loved every single song. I found out real quick that he was not talking about spilling blood in the streets, but he was talking about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was spilled for people living in the streets. That Jesus looks to people like me who feel forgotten, the under-resourced, the impoverished, the, the often forsaken, the confused, those who would be by every, uh, uh, for every sense of the word spiritually lost. Jesus just isn't making space for you at the table. He built the table for you. He's going after you Amen. in your brokenness. This is who Jesus is, young Kevin Burgess. That's what he said in that album, and I trusted that Jesus at my grandmother's house at 16 years old, and brothers and sisters, I've been walking with that Jesus ever since. Now, coming out of that experience, I emerged into a world slowly but surely becoming somebody I was not before. It wasn't like at 225 uh, I was a sinner and at 226 I was a saint. Um, but God was slowly changing my appetite. Uh, the things that I once hated, like church and community and the Bible and anything that had to do with Christianity, God was flipping that all upside down. I began to love the things that I hate and I used to hate and begin to hate the things I used to love. And I found myself excited about telling people about what God had done in little old me. And I got to school and I found that people weren't as excited as I was. 
I literally used to be cool. I was a class president. I was an athlete, MVP of my basketball team. I went from that to a square in about two weeks, okay? I found myself lonely at first, but I was committed. I'd be in my Bible six hours a day sometimes, rushing to get home to be in the presence of God, and I prayed that God would bring me others like myself. Shortly after this time, I was probably like a year and a half or so, I uh, was forced by my loving mother to get a job. And uh, there was a grocery store opening in the neighborhood. It was in walking distance from my house. Uh, it was called Sweet Bay. Have you ever heard of Sweet Bay? Oh, oh St. Pete! <laughs> uh, Sweet Bay was a great idea that kind of fell flat because it does not exist anymore. Uh, but I loved their heart. They were trying to bring fresh food a food desert uh, but the problem is we couldn't afford the food so um, so they end up going out of business anyways that's a whole nother conversation I would love to have with you one day anyways we went to go work at this grocery I went to go work at this grocery store and I was delighted to be somebody that God saved and God's vision for me was that I would look like Jesus not like church folks okay so I kept on my Jordans uh, I kept my do-rag on I, I, my, my, my ears, well, they weren't pierced at the time, but uh, if I wanted to get my ears pierced, I would have kept those in. <laughs> because God was doing something in my heart, and you could tell that I was somebody that loved Jesus, not because of any kind of outward conformity. It was what was flowing out of me. My love for God was undeniable. I'm at this orientation at this grocery store. I got on the Dub Zeros, which was the 20th anniversary of the, the 20th pair of Jordans that came out, Jordan 20s. And uh, they were orange and white, the same color as Sweet Bay, and uh, which I was think was gonna be nice. It's gonna match my shirt real nice when we started working. And in orientation, a gentleman across the, uh, the room saw me and walked over to me and was like, oh man, I like your shoes. You got the Dub Zeros on. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, a little bit of sneaker culture here. Thank you for noticing. I pay a lot of money for these. And, um, and we, we struck up a conversation. And as we began to talk, we talked about life, we talked about culture, and I couldn't help but talk about what was most important to me, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that person, I was 16, he was 15, was I mean the Dream Hudson. Why don't you pick up from here? Yeah, um... Nice segue, brother. You just kind of threw that right yeah. down the middle. Um, you nice with it. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so, I met this gentleman right here at Sweet Bay at Orientation. Leading up to that point, though, God had orchestrated this in a big way. So, I was raised in a church, also from South St. Pete. Me and him didn't live, we lived like down the road from one another. I was raised in a church uh, ever since I was little. You know, I was always forced to go to church, had a family that was in the church. My grandmother did the announcements at the church. Um, and I just slept in a pew and ate animal crackers. That's, that's pretty much and drunk and drank country time lemonade that they had in the machines there. So um, I, that's what I, that, that's what I was looking forward to do on Sunday, animal crackers and country time lemonade. So um, by the time I became a, oh, serious talking to me. By the time I uh, became a teenager and my mother stopped kind of forcing me to go to church, I stopped going, right? I really didn't have an interest in church. I thought church was for old people. It was boring. I didn't understand why this man was up there yelling and wiping his forehead every uh, three minutes. Uh, and I uh, didn't understand why people was putting money in a silver bowl. Um, and I just didn't want anything to do with it. So I was kind of just living my life. 
Um, and when I was living my life at the time, um, I was just obsessed with wanting to just make money because I was extremely materialistic, uh, which is one of the reasons I probably noticed his uh, Jordan Dub Zeros, right? Um, and so there was, there's nothing wrong with things. God blesses us with things at times, even as gifts to show his goodness. The good things that we enjoy are to reflect the good gift giver. But in my life, things were God, right? Um, and so because I was this way, I wanted to make money. I was trying to apply to all these jobs. I couldn't uh, uh, get a job anywhere for some reason. No one was calling me back. I had uh, friends that I was hanging with at the time that were selling drugs. And so I was like, man, I'm about to just start doing it. I'm going to press the button um, because I, I want money this bad. And I remember uh, just telling my mom that I was, which is weird. I went to my mom and told her, I'm going to start selling drugs. And she was like, what? Right? And she, but it was the first time I ever saw my mom just be disappointed. She didn't blow up, but she was disappointed, which hurt more. Right? Um, and I just saw the look on her face and I was like, what am I, what is going on? What am I doing? Um, but I was still on the verge. And in this time, my mom had ended up taking me to a Christian bookstore. She bought me my own Bible. It was the New Living Translation. I remember it, it was burgundy. She got my name printed on it in gold in, 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 at the bottom. Um, and I remember bringing it home, opening it up, reading the Ten Commandments. And as soon as I read it, I was like, I broke all of these commandments. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm lawless. Yes. And, uh, but after I saw that I had broken the commandments, I started feeling conviction which I never was really feeling before. And so I did not know it was conviction, but I, I would describe it as, I just feel like God is upset with me. Yeah. I feel like God is upset with the way that I'm living my life and I don't know how to make God happy, is how I felt. I just wanna make God happy. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know what to do, so I said, okay, this is what Christians do, they go to church. So I started driving myself to church. Would sit, in the, would sit in the pew, listen to the sermons, and I did not like it, couldn't hear it, couldn't understand what was going on. Um, and I just, I was just like, this is not for me. Uh, then I was like, what else do Christians do? Okay, they, they read their Bible. So I started opening the Bible and reading it, but I, I might as well have been reading hieroglyphics. I didn't understand anything I was reading and it was because I didn't have the spirit to help me because I was reading the NLT version, right? Um, NLT can't help you. NLT can't help you. I don't you. know what to tell you, brother. Jesus and his 12 homeboys went down to Galilee. So I could, I was like, what? So, um, so I was, I, I couldn't understand it. And I remember one Sunday I was sitting in the front, on the front steps with my Bible. Um, and I tried to read it and I couldn't understand it. And I was like, God, I, I, I've tried everything. I've driven myself to church. It sucks. I have tried to read the Bible. I don't understand it. Um, and I have tried to stop doing bad things and I can't stop doing bad things. So I'm giving up. I remember just thinking that, like, I have done everything that I could to do what I think I need to do in order to please God, and it's not working. So I'm, I'm going to give up. A few weeks later, I met him at orientation, right? And I was applying for jobs everywhere. No one hired me but Sweet Bay. I'm applying to jobs. My friends are applying to the same jobs. They're getting hired at all these other jobs. I'm not. The only place that hired me was Sweet Bay. And I'm just like, God, and, I get, and when I get the job at Sweet Bay, they're like, hey, uh, you gotta wait six months to start working because we gotta build this facility. Um, but when I get to orientation, I meet him, and I find out that he's a Christian, and I'm like, oh my gosh. 
I'm feeling convicted. I've been running. I feel like I've just, God has made me mad. I mean, I've made God mad. So I just started asking him everything. What does God think about this? What does God think about that? And I was shocked because I thought a Christian was supposed to wear suspenders and uh, have a, you know, a pencil uh, protector in their pocket and have glasses on. And I, so when I saw him in the Jordan Dub Zeros and he looked like me and talked like me, dressed like me, but he loved Jesus, I was like, I did not know you can do that. I did not know that people like you existed. And then I started peppering him with questions. Um, the same album in which he listened to, he gave to me one night. He said, take this home, listen to this album, and if you're really serious about following Jesus, then you, you'll, you'll repeat the prayer. At the end of the album, there was, he was, it was, uh, the artist was walking through the gospel, and then he does the sinner's prayer, which I'm not against the sinner's prayer, but if your heart is ripe, yeah. if Jesus is tilling the soil of your heart, then when a sinner's prayer comes to you, it, it's effective, right? And so I repeated that, that prayer, and it felt as if though everything in my life had led up to that moment, literally. It was almost like a, for me, like a movie. I was like, it feels like everything that has happened was for God to get me to this moment where I heard this gospel message, and I repented. And I remember I took that, uh, that you gave me an MP3 player full of Christian hip hop. I took that MP3 player, at, took it home, went to my bathroom, turned off all the lights because I wanted to be extra spiritual. And I got on my knees in the bathroom next to the toilet and said the prayer again because I was like, God, I want you to know I am serious about this. And I've been walking with the Lord ever since. I was Amen. 15. He was 16. Amen. It's 15 plus years ago. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And it is... It is a wonderful, you know, experience for us to see what God has done in our lives over the last 15 or so years. And I'm reminded as I think about what it means for us now to go around the world. We have a podcast now together that by God's grace, we are from a distance getting to play a role in discipling people all over the world. And I think about what does it mean for us to reach an emerging generation, to strengthen those who uh, are, have been kind of following us for a while? Uh, the pandemic did a number on the church. In a lot of ways, we are still recovering in all different ways from what we've experienced as a people in the last four years, but we could probably push that back to the last six or seven years. A lot of questions are being asked. We are watching a generation, Gen Z, walk away from Jesus at rates we have never seen in the history of the country. We're watching a church that is more racially, ethnically, and oftentimes theologically divided than it's almost ever been today is we appreciate what does it mean for the witness, for the glory of God, for the gospel. We all love awakening talk, revival talk. How do we see Christianity stand up as this powerhouse that transforms people the way it transformed you? I'd like to encourage us to think about a few things in the time we have, and then we'll open up the floor for questions. One thing that I want to stick with us, that stick with us today, is this word remember. Remember. In Revelation chapter 2, you have the church of Ephesus that Jesus is addressing 
concerning the state of their church. Jesus starts off by talking about how they are doing a whole lot of great things. Y'all are standing up for truth. Y'all are uh, people that expel false prophets. Uh, He talked about there being a group of um, detractors from orthodox thinking who were trying to infiltrate the church. And ironically, these group of people are believed to have weird beliefs about how sexuality works. That's what Ephesus was facing. That sound familiar to you? Jesus says that you all stand against them. Good job. I like what you're doing. Now, normally when you sit down with somebody and you got some bad news, you got to get little corrections got to come, you want to start off with a whole bunch of affirming things. Hey, brother, you're doing good at work. You show up on time. You made coffee for the whole staff the other day. It's just one thing I need you to stop doing. You're stealing the paper clips, okay? You got to, don't steal the paper clips. got to replace those mugs. We got to replace those, okay? Someone has to pay for those, all right? And Jesus has a similar uh, sort of way of communicating to the church of Ephesus. He's encouraging them for all the great things they're doing. But then he gets to this last piece. And that last piece isn't just a simple adjustment. He's saying, if you don't get this last piece, I will shut your entire operation down. And what does Jesus say about the church? He says, I need for you to return to your first love. Don't miss this, brothers and sisters. Jesus is saying that if you don't become primarily lovers, fervent, committed lovers of Jesus that is demonstrated in your love for people, if you don't get to that, you should not exist. And I'm personally, Jesus says, going to see to it that you don't exist. To become the kind of people who are good at parsing out truth, that are good at representing ideas, that we're good at theologically breaking things down. We're good at letting you know what we don't like and what we don't stand for, who we won't vote for. We're good at being active in all of those things, but failing in this area, Jesus says, that the presence of all your good is not good enough. That the one thing that's missing, love, weighs more than all the good things that are present. And if there's one thing that we and Jesus gives them the pathway to return, he uses the word remember. Remember the works you did at first. What did Jesus do in you when you trusted in him? Everyone in this room right now, if we can have a bit of an exercise, think about what it was like when the world opened up to you, and I'm talking about the kingdom, when you saw Jesus is beautiful and glorious and wonderful. What happened when he captured your heart? Because the truth of the matter is this. As I travel the nation, I'm just going to say it. We're talking bold, right? Southside Rabbi, baby. As I've traveled the land from church to church to church to church, I've seen a lot of gathering, people asking the question, how do we then reach people with the gospel? And rarely do we sit back and say, how is the gospel constantly reaching us? How are our, how, how are our hearts? In other words, you should not be surprised by Jesus' waning influence on the culture when Jesus has a waning influence on the church, a waning influence on me. 
you, if our hearts are not set ablaze, if we are not living out of a fervent love for the God of the universe who is doing wonderful things, that will do wonderful things, the kingdom of God is coming, brothers and sisters. For all that is in the world is the love of the flesh, the love of the eyes, and the pride of life. These things are not of the Father, but of this world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God will abide forever. That's First John. Amen. The kingdom is coming, and it is pushing out anything that would stand against it. We are offered that in Christ. Does that not capture our hearts? Does not awe and uh, affection and care and concern and excitement for that capture us? Because if that is not who we are fundamentally, all of our organization plans and strategies are in vain. God will not bless it and it will not be sustained. God is not looking to just fill our pews with people again. God is looking to fill the kingdom with disciples that love him and love others. That is his goal. Amen. Amen. I'm going to bounce past this to I mean to talk about what it means for us to love others. But before I do, I'm going to say one last thing. Nothing happens in our lives, those who are called, who love God and called according to his purpose, nothing happens in our lives that has not first went through the hands of a good God that uses those things for our good. And what that means is, as it feels like Christianity in some ways, as it is seen throughout the land, is losing ground. <laughs> as it seems like the church is being shaken up some as it seems like things that were uh, given, you know, talk, talking about those Ten Commandments, they were all in the schools and now they're out. As those things are kind of happening, God is not pulling his hair out. God is working through the compromise. God is working through the downgrade. In, in fact, God can do more with sincere Christians living in a world that hates them than a world that says they're Christian but don't really love him. Right. So don't be. Yes. Don't be discouraged. Be excited to go to the well, to the brook, to the living water, and you drink deeply and see that God would watch as God would take the nourishment, the thirst quenching, the love that he builds in you as you seek him and spread it to our people. I mean, I, I actually just to piggyback on what you said, I love um, how you ended on talking about some of the things that we see in culture, which I would call the things of Christendom fading a little bit, yeah. right? Um, and how we can look at those things and say Christianity must be fading, yeah. right? Um, and as I'm thinking about an emerging generation, we're thinking about generations who are coming after us. We're thinking about Generation Z. We're thinking about how to reach even, not just older folks, but even younger folks with the gospel and how to reach everyone with the gospel. I think that in this culture and time, we see that things are very, very polarized. And as you said, they are polarized among political, racial, 
and, and even theological lines, I would even say. Um, but one of the things that I think that we have to think about as we are thinking about the emergent generation is thinking about a Christianity that transcends all of that. Now, what do I mean by that? I think that especially us here in America, we are, uh, all, we've always kind of been subjected to a Christianity that likes to marry itself to things. Christianity marrying itself to partisanism or certain political parties, right? Christianity marrying itself with power. Christianity marrying itself with uh, a particular type of influence that comes with cultural power. And what happens is when we see that we are losing cultural power, we think we're losing the gospel. Um, and what I think that we see in an emerging generation, a Gen Z, uh, iGen, right? We call them iGen as well, is that they are looking for a Christianity that is authentic Christianity. And what I mean by that is, I think about the late Frederick Douglass, who said that there is a difference between the Christianity of the land and the Christianity of Christ, right? The Christianity of the land is usually a Christianity that fills itself with the agendas of the land. Which is, which it could be nationalism. Yep. It could be political agendas. It could be sociological, other, other kind of sociological agendas. But Gen Z is looking for a Christianity that is going to be authentic and be what it says it is. A Christianity that loves the vulnerable, yep. invites the broken, and that really truly lives out a life that reflects their love for their first love, which is Christ. Yeah. I think about what Job says in Job 31. Do you want to pick up there what Job says in Job 31? Oh, we have one minute. I didn't even see that. One minute and 40. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, go ahead. I was greedy with my time. I'm sorry, brother. <laughs> no. Um, but I think about when, when you think about what Christianity looks like in a profile of righteousness for us within culture and in society, I think that one of those things is our love and our care for the vulnerable and for the broken. The emerging generation is really kind of not struggling with a lot of the things that culture and society are the way the church is. And what I mean by that is the emerging generation live, breathe, walk, and talk diversity. They live, breathe, walk, and talk uh, uh, this, this uh, kind of culture that we are in that are merging different races. We in the church have to also embrace the same type of multiculturalism, I would call it, and uh, diversity that we see in the book of Revelation. Yeah. When we see the book of Revelation, every nation, tongue, tribe is going to be worshiping, worshiping at the throne. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, do our churches reflect that? And if they don't, do we see that as a problem? Is it a problem if my church is homogenous? Is it a problem if my community does not look like heaven? Now I'm not, I know that it depends on what communities we're in, but I'm saying that we have to intentionally be the kind of people that are trying to bring heaven to earth, right? And the only way that we do that is with, with intentionality. Now I know in culture and society, all of that diversity, equality are all bad words now, right, to some. 
Some people are saying, oh, it's CRT, it's, it's whatever it may be. But what I am saying is that what we see in scripture is a church that is embracing every nation, tribe, and tongue and take the pain of the vulnerable seriously. And the church has to do the same. And let me tell you, the emerging generation, that is the air they breathe. And if we become a church that is resistant, recalcitrant towards that, we will lose them. And so when we talk about this Christianity of Christ that transcends the Christianity of the land, I am talking about us embracing a Christianity that transcends politics, that transcends all of the kind of cultural polarization that we see, and we are embracing a Christianity, a biblical ethic that looks more like the scriptures. And we can, we, can, we can get into a little bit of that um, later, or we can, we can transition the question and answer Powerful. and talk about more of that as well. Powerful, powerful. Thank you, Meansy. Mm-hmm. That's extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, brothers and sisters, with the rest of our time, we wanted to open the floor up and give you all a chance to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we got about, is that 15? 15 minutes left. All right, we can do something. Oh, 15 we got some minutes. good questions. Did we get right, some now? good questions in? So um, if, if there's any, any way, anyone that wants to come up in, we got, we got one bold sold here. All right, go ahead. Go ahead, brother. Um, hi, longtime fans. My name is Shadrach. Um, Do you know Meshach? <laughs> Or Embidigo. That's a, it's, a, it's a great name. And a bad Negro. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I'm from South Carolina. And... Oh. All right. 100%. And so my question is, oftentimes I look at the things in culture regarding race or things like that, and I'm interested to speak on those things at my church, uh, but my church is predominantly uh, white, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the air, that's one of the ones where it's just the area in which we live right. in. So I don't. It's not that. But oftentimes I'll speak on something, and I'm automatically put into a box of, oh, you're on that. And I'm like, no, I'm not trying to approach it from that standpoint. I'm trying to like, you know, it's the gospel is not social justice, but social justice is something that the gospel speaks to. Right. And so I'm trying to what practical. I guess my question is, what practical ways? Would you go about explaining that to your congregation and not being offensive and not uh, being out of pocket or anything like that? So, Yeah, great question. Um, thank Amazing. you for that, brother. I, I, I'll start with this. Uh, the, the first thing, I, I, I want to encourage everyone in here to, tick, uh, to pick up Christopher Wright's Old Testament ethics, okay? Christopher Wright. It's called Old Testament Ethics for the People of God. For the People of God. Old Testament Ethics for the People of God. It is a wonderful theological work that is orthodox, it's theologically sound, and it walks through what the Old Testament says to us about the character of God. And let me say this really quick, and I'll let Amin say something, and I will bounce. We realize that the gospel project, not not the gospel project ministry, but the gospel project generically. So what God is doing through the gospel is that he is bringing people who have been disconnected from God, he's bringing them back. That's what redemption means, right? Reconciliation is, it's to bring you back. Jesus brings us to the Father, right? In the Old Testament, you learn about what the Father is like. What are the kinds of things that he rejoices in? What are the kinds of things that he hates, like in Proverbs? And what Christopher Wright shows us very powerfully in his book, 
is that the main way that the people of God are impacting the world that they live in is through taking care of the needs of those who are around them. It's the main way that God is worshiped. Uh, Jesus reiterates this when he talks about what we call in my book, Dangerous Jesus. You can go get that. God bless you. Anyways, it's, I call it the law of laws. When they say, what, is, what, what, are the, what are the greatest commandments among us? Okay, and, 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 and G, G, Jesus says, look, first is to love your God with all your heart. Yeah, we got that. Give your all in love for God. But he says the second commandment is like the first, meaning you can't have one without the other. You can't be loving God and not doing the second thing. You can't do the second thing and not be loving God. What's the second thing? The second thing is loving your neighbor like the way you love yourself. And what you have in the Old Testament is a masterclass on what it means to love the people around you, the people that can't help you, the people that can't contribute to your fund, the immigrant, the, the, the widow, the orphan, the fatherless. I have heard so much conversation about fatherlessness concerning the community that I came out of as a fatherless child myself. Most of those conversations don't help me feel that God loves me and he cares about the ways in which I suffer because my dad wasn't around. Instead, I hear, that's what's wrong with y'all. You need daddies. That doesn't sound like the heart of God. So to answer your question, <laughs> I would become versed, brother, if the Lord is calling you to endure that, which... I hope by God's grace, he is giving you the energy, the, the insight, the conviction to love your brothers and sisters well. But I would be versed in what the Bible says about these issues, that when they cut you, you bleed this. We think about the passage in, this is the ESV, right? ESV standard of the, Bible, the version of the Bible, my favorite version of the Bible has a chapter in Exodus that the title of the chapter is On Social Justice. The fact of the matter is, the patristics going all the way back to the fourth century wrote a book called On Social Justice. We cannot be the kind of people that when we just hear a word, we're so turned off because we hate the other side so much and our fear is that we might not sound like them. No, yeah. our fear is that we might not sound biblical. That's gotta be our fear. Amen. Then you stand on that, brother. You stand on that and let it flow out. Know every single thing that God has revealed in this world, world about what we call, as John Wesley calls, social holiness. Because without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And without love for people in societies, you don't know God. I love you, brother. Yeah, great question. First off, respect for the pollen fours. Those are really nice. I like Thank them. You yeah. see me? You yeah, know what I'm saying? I see him. I see him. <laughs> uh, second question. You guys kind of hit on in the beginning of your talk um, just a little bit about stereotypes. I think youth pastors uh, have a stereotype of being the immature one on staff, of being kind of the, you know, the games guy or the babysitter, stuff like that. I really think that that's a, a big stereotype. But you guys even spoke a little bit about breaking those breaking stereotypes as well as honestly I think a lot of people they saw your names on the roster today and they're like oh KB's gonna come do a concert and uh you're up here and you're talking you're talking a lot of truth and it's so good but you even broke us you guys broke a stereotype today of you're not coming up here to rap you guys came up here to talk you know what I mean so can you speak into a little bit about like 
breaking stereotypes, kind of like how to do that a little bit um, when it comes to your sphere of influence. Um, I think uh, I, want to, I want to hear what you have to say about this, too, since you are the, the rapper that gets stereotyped a lot. Um, <laughs> like I just did by calling him the rapper. But I, 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 yeah, I think even, even when it comes to youth pastors, number one, um, first of all, we all stereotype people. Um, and I think that we have to check our own biases <laughs> with some of the ways in which we stereotype individuals. But I think that, uh, especially for youth pastors, I think that if they continue to lead their youth seriously in ways in which they are doing more than just giving them games and doing more than just throwing pizza parties, but they are pouring into kids' lives, they're sitting with them through pain, they're sitting with them through suffering, they're walking them through uh, what it means to come of age as a person in a broken world. Um, I think that that is something that will show that youth pastors are not necessarily just babysitters for your kids at church, right? Um, I think that it's them being faithful to the call to disciple kids. The same way that you would disciple adults, I mean, not in the context of that they're going through the same things, but you are walking with them through hard things. One thing that I will say about me as a young man is that in, in, in adults, adults can dismiss kids' problems like they're not real problems. It's so easy for us to say, you don't pay no bills. You don't, what are you talking about? Jeremy at school doesn't think you're cool. Uh, you, you don't know, I have a boss at work that doesn't like me. That's real problems. I no, pay taxes. No, yeah, taxes. Uncle Sam doesn't what like me. Those are real do problems. pay? Right? And so, <laughs> Jeremy don't like you. Try Uncle Sam. Uncle like Sam. Him. So, but what I will say is, no, your child's pain and trauma is just as real as your boss not like you at work. That's why there are kids committing suicide over it in record numbers um, and so I say that all I say that too to say even for those who may stereotype youth pastors that may even be in here you cannot dwindle a person down to being somebody that's just one-dimensional we are sweet we have so many intersections and the same thing is the, the same thing is the case with youth pastors they are not babysitting your kids they are walking through they are walking your kids through stuff that you probably are not even walking your kids through and your kids may be going and opening up to them and saying things to them that they're not even saying to you. So pray for them and take them seriously. And I think that when it comes to breaking stereotypes, you be who you are. I get, I'm, I'm black man in America, bro. I know black about stereotypes. And, what, and, I, and I think that what I do is I continue to be who I am unapologetically. And when I see stereotypes happen, I lovingly call them out and say, hey, we're more than that. Right? This is, this is dwindling us down to something that is one dimensional and it's not right. Um, and so that's part of what I would say, but I don't know if you want to add some amen, stuff to as the artist. Amen and amen. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Sorry, I'm a little taller than this. <laughs> yeah, we got tall brothers. So uh, I know that you're from, from Trinity. You, you went to Trinity. I'm, I'm currently there. I know. Oh, nice. So, uh, Trinity College. Hey, All right. Shout All out right Trinity. Now. I see you. So I just had a question for you because I've been going there. I'm in my senior year, and I've been trying to reach um, a certain group on, on campus that is really hard to reach for me. Um, I've been playing basketball with them and been doing all kinds of stuff, and it's been a genuine struggle for me, and I know you've been there. I know you Coach uh, Joe Alotta is always telling us about how he coached you for like a semester, but... <laughs> I coached him? No, he, he coached you. He said he, I, he, I you're like his pride one, and joy. I, I played 
Talking about stereotypes. I I I, I, I played one game, but uh, I was there for the Bible, not basketball. But go ahead. No, not, not to hate on people there for no, basketball. It's go good. ahead. It's all good. Um, but I know that you were there. You were in you were in the trenches there. So I was trying to figure out exactly what it's like uh, to reach that group of people because I've been trying and I'm having a hard time. Yeah. No, that's awesome, brother. Um, good question. And shout out to Trinity College. That's where I got my Bible Bible degree from. And. Uh, I was shaped by that school in ways that I, I'll be in debt to forever. Uh, I'll just say very, 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 uh, well, not financially, I paid it off. Um, Jesus paid it all. Oh that was horrible. You write, that to, you write that to Sally Bay. I'll be dead in forever. My kids will be paying that debt off. Uh, no, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, brother, I'm reminded of the words of Paul where he, he asked the, 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 the church to pray for him, that God would, where are you? Where'd you go? There you are. Uh, that God would open up a door that the gospel might go through. Amen. And I think that we, 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 we need to remind ourselves that uh, evangelism isn't always as neat as we would like it, where, you know, like the, you know, the, the rich young ruler or the lawyer coming up to Jesus, like, what do I got to do to get saved? Good question. And then just break down the gospel and then they're saved. Oftentimes... It's a very nuanced, mysterious, long-run kind of thing. I think this is precisely why our God is so patient with those who rebel against him, because he has a heart that all would come to repentance. And I think that as we think about ministry, that there's a long haul kind of thing as well. Uh, because we haven't convinced somebody out the front, out the front gate, uh, out the gate, doesn't mean that this isn't going to be a, a, a page in the story of this person's salvation. And I think equip, equipping yourself for the little wins, the, the, the small conversations. I, I have seen people come to Jesus who it started with them, it's just a small convo with a Starbucks barista. That, that, that's the person at Starbucks has no idea that they dropped something on that person that rocked them forever. And I think we, we're, we're to be confident in what God can do with those little moments. So I would encourage you to also, sharing the gospel with someone, the last thing I'll say, sharing the gospel with someone, someone, articulating the truth to them is but a way to begin to bring them into the kingdom. It's the most important way. I mean, it's the, the key that accesses it all. But realize, being a listening ear, you know, uh, helping somebody get through a hard assignment, asking where are you struggling, listening. Oh my goodness, brothers and sisters. If we were just amazing listeners. Yes. Uh, so one, man, so one, one theologian put it like this. He said that listening is so next to loving that when you are experiencing a good listener, it just feels like love. And what I'm saying is even getting a chance, I rejoiced in the conversations when we do ministry in hard places that I was able to talk to you about anything for a sustained amount of time where you heard me or you trusted me enough to share anything. So rejoice in those small wins, equip yourself for the long run and see what the Lord might do. Amen. Uh, yeah, hello, my name is Wiss. Um, I have a question. In John 4, Jesus talks about worshiping in spirit and truth. Do you think the American church reflects that in corporate worship? And if not, how do we get back to that? Ooh, you want to take that one, theologian? I don't know. 
Um, yeah, John, John 4. Spirit and truth. Uh, yep. Those who like worship chap, me must uh, worship me. Four, yes, yeah, worship, 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 worship me in spirit and truth. Now, I do want to say, I don't think the context here was corporate worship. I, I, I no, think no, he, he, he was, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so we're we on the same page about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would say that the locus of our reflecting Jesus's word, what he's called us to in, in loving him and worshiping God in spirit and truth is really going to happen mainly in our discipleship, not in our singing on Sunday morning, even though singing on Sunday morning is very, very important. Um, if we want to be people, let me say this last thing to your, to your, to your question. For so long, in the beginning, at least in the beginning of my walk, I thought the main way that I showed that I loved Jesus and even experienced Jesus was my morning devotionals. And morning devotionals are good. If you're looking for a good one, Charles Spurgeon, morning and night, amazing. Morning and evening, baby. Morning and evening. And that moment that I had with God was sincere. And sometimes I would set the, temp, the stage too. You know, I would lock myself in the closet, light candles, you know what I'm saying? They'd be like, is a seance happening there? Yeah, no, what's going on here? You got soft music playing? I got these candles from the Christian bookstore, okay? <laughs> Anyways. But I thought that that was the height of my spirituality. These moments where I am having these devos. And that's good. But I think the burden of the New Testament is that that actually isn't the height of spirituality. Stories like the Good Samaritan or Matthew 25 at the judgment seat, those who are considered sheep. As important as devotionals, devotionals are, the scripture doesn't say those who did devotionals every morning, they are welcome into my kingdom. But it was those who took care of the least of these. I think that the area in where in my own life and the church at large, where we need to remember and get back is that the core of worshiping God in spirit and truth is centered around a love for God that flows into a love for the least of these among us. And we're not just talking about people living in abject poverty. Who around you, right, is in need of the love of God, the care and concern, the burden lifting. Paul says that you fulfill the law of Christ by bearing the burdens of your brothers and sisters. That's where we need to sit in our conversations around spirit and truth. Great question, though, brother. Yes. Yeah. Can I just add on to that, too? That's where we're already over time. Um, so yeah, going you know I mean? just a little bit of, of, even about what you said about, uh, the spirit, about spirit and truth and then uh, the vulnerable among us. I think that if you want to assess whether or not we are walking with the Lord like we should, especially as we're thinking about a church sometimes, you need to ask yourself, how are the vulnerable in the church doing? If the vulnerable in the church don't feel like they have been served at all and they are not seen, not heard, then we may have to reassess some, some, some things in the way that we're going about loving and in the, in the ways that we're going about walking in spirit and truth because walking in spirit and truth does entail bearing one another's burdens and loving the vulnerable among us. And if the vulnerable among you do not feel loved by and large, then there may have to be some self-inventory that needs to be done. So, yeah. So we are way over time. Are, okay, I'm so I'm, sorry. Yeah. Can we take one Can more? We, do one we got more? one more. Okay. Okay. Hi. Oh, 
Hello. Hi, I'm Callie. Um, I'm currently in year two. Kelly or Callie? Callie, like California. Callie, all right. Hi. Nice. <laughs> so I'm currently in Bible college to be a youth pastor. I'm in year two, yeah. and I've gotten used to being able to evangelize to youth and talk to them. You know, they're a special kind of breed, but I mean, we're all here understanding they're kind of animals. And I've gotten used to that, but how do you effectively go out and evangelize to other adults? Because I think that's, it's so much harder. You can't talk down with them. You have to kind of get on their level of maturity. And I just struggle with that so much. Yes. Yeah, can, I, can, I, can I take that? I, um, one of the things that I love when it comes to evangelizing to adults, because for me, I feel like I have my, a lot of my experiences evangelizing to adults, not youth, though I have done that with youth. I feel like for me, I try to be relational. I, as KB said, love listening to people. Tell me about your life. What do you want to talk? If we, I was just sitting next to a gentleman on a plane. We talked for two hours, right? But it was him telling me about his life. Oh, I'm just, I, just got, I just retired. I'm here for the security job. And we were actually coming from California, ironically. But what I try to do is I want to be truly and thoughtfully, authentically interested in people. I want to love people. I don't want to approach this person as a gospel project. Like, hey, I don't really care about you or your life. I just want to give you the gospel and then like move on, right? But I do, I want to approach, approach you as a holistic person that, that, it, that has a totality to you. You are broken. You go through things yourself. You have joys. You have pain. You have all of those things I can relate to. Because as a fellow adult human being, the same brokenness that you face, I face. The, some of the joys that you have, I have. So I want to be genuinely invested in building a kind of relationship here in which we are actually having a discussion as two human beings about life in a broken world. But then I think I've also been able to give that perspective of my faith and be like, hey man, you know, well, yeah, I understand that. And oh yeah, I get that. And well, maybe I see it a little bit like this. And this is why, right? Um, I think that there's, you can get creative with your evangelism. It doesn't have to be like a formal, just got to go do death, burial, resurrection, get him to the, right? You can be very creative with it. And there's so many entryways, I think, that you can do that with adults. And it can just be talking about life. It could be sharing your testimony. Hey, yeah, I remember that. Let me tell you, you know, what has happened with me. This is how, this is how things have changed around in my life, right? Um, yeah. And so I like to be a great listener. I like to build relationships. Yeah. Um, and I like to utilize that listening and that relationship building to find pockets to be able to just tell them about the faith and tell them about my faith. Uh, tell them about uh, even my testimony yeah. and tell them about about Jesus. Um, and I don't want to just make it as formal. You can be as creative as you want to. You can do it over a football game, basketball game, somebody reading a Harry Potter book. Oh, I read that one too, right? We um, don't read no Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. See, it's, the it church. it's the church. Get that demonic witchcraft magic. out of here. But, um, but uh, I mean, there's so many different avenues I think that we, that you can take, um, and I would and I would and I would be very 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 creative. But um, yeah, go ahead. If yeah, you amen, add. amen, amen to to Meansy, mm -hmm. and and I'll just just send you with this too, sister. Uh, I think that our our care for people can be shown in very practical ways. Amen. And it goes, it, it just bears so much fruit. The ROI is out of this world. Just simply. If you ask somebody, how could I be praying for you, right? Yes. And then you get their requests, and then the next time you see them, you check up on it because you've been praying for it. Typically, it's like, hey, how you doing? Which I, I don't want you to tell me how you're doing. I'm just greeting you. 
You know what I'm saying? That's how we treat, how can I pray for you? And if we could just simply be people of, I, I, no, I prayed for you this week. What's the status on your mom? What's the status on your job? What's the status on blah, 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 amen, blah? Amen, amen. And man, I think what we will find more than not I think about this with the fighters that we that we that we that we spar with or that we uh, train with at the boxing gym. If it's just, hey man, I prayed for you this week. What happened? Oh my goodness, you did? Yeah, I did. He said, bro, on Tuesday something almost miraculous happened. The whole situation cleared up. I said, oh yeah, I, I know why. Our, our God answered the prayer. We don't even give people the opportunity to recognize that God did something in their lives. Amen. Because we've been praying for them when we don't care enough, you know? And, and, I'm, and I'm certain, not to make any indictments on you whatsoever, I'm sure. I can just tell that you do everything perfect on this planet. God bless you, <laughs> But I appreciate that question. And in your, in your question, I'm actually seeing myself. Because I need to be reminded that there's something powerful, something incredibly spiritual, that the grace of God is near in the simple concern and care for somebody else. And I think that's the pathway. That's the door that opens the door for, for, the, for the slam dunk Amen. gospel presentation. Well, all right? Amen. We love you all so much. Thank you all for having us. Yes. Yes.